Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. This series of messages is based on Kevin's best-selling book, Restoration Theology, available in paperback, hardback, and ebook formats from Amazon in your region, and also as a PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Well, good evening, everybody. Everybody had a good week this week? So they followed on from what we were on last uh, Sunday night on Times of Refreshing. So how many felt that the Lord uh, refreshed you this week in the special meetings? All right, let's have a, a brief word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us as we share. Father, we just uh, come once again uh, in a spirit of dependence upon you, Lord, uh, joyful dependence upon you and upon your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, as we share the uh, lesson tonight that the Holy Spirit who ultimately is the teacher, the anointing that abides within and teaches us, uh, will do the teaching tonight. Bless uh, our time together, Father, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen. I would like you to turn your Bible to the passage that we've been uh, using as our base uh, in the first couple of sessions here. So let's turn uh, once again to the book of Acts, chapter 3. All right, Acts chapter 3, and I'd like to read from uh, uh, verse uh, 17, uh, just a few verses here. So it says, Peter speaking, And now, brethren, I, uh, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his uh, prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing or seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was before, uh, who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration or restitution uh, just synonymous words of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like uh, me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken of likewise, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father, saying in Abraham, or to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, send him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Pray the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Now, just very briefly, and uh, how many have not been able to be here for the last uh, couple of Sunday nights? Uh, if you haven't, I'd like to encourage you to get the uh, uh, tape after the, after the service is over and sort of catch up to where we are so far. All right, in our first session, very briefly, we looked at the importance of the Old Testament prophets, uh, particularly for our generation. And as we said that night, the uh, relevance of the prophets was that uh, they were men for all times. Though they were men for their generation, they were actually people for all generation because, as we often say, truth is eternal. 
And uh, what is truth today was truth yesterday. And what is truth yesterday was truth 2,000 years back. Truth is eternal and therefore truth is applicable uh, in every generation, relevant in every generation. Everybody can say amen to that. And then last, uh, uh, last week we particularly looked at the eight hours of restoration. And uh, if you've got your notes with you from last week, let's just run through them. Uh, how many have got their notes from last week with them? All right, you help me out as we just, uh, this is a brief review. All right, the first hour we had was, number one was repentance, which is a change of mind. Everybody say that, a re- repentance, a change of mind. Number two, return change of direction. Number three, refreshing, a change of seasons. Number four, recovery, a change of climate. Number five, reviving, a change of condition. We saw those first five words were all applicable to the Lord Jesus Christ, have to, or pardon me, uh, the church, having to do with the church. Repentance, change of mind, return, a change of direction, refreshing, a change of seasons, and just appreciate the refreshing we've had in the special meetings this past week. Recovery, change of climate, reviving, a change of a condition. The last uh, uh, three hours have to do uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So number six was receive, a change of place. Number seven, retain, a change of position. And number eight, a restoration, a change of ownership. All right, now what we need to do in our time tonight, and I have to keep moving quickly, I only have 40 minutes to get through so much material and chapters that we're doing. Restoration, we want to first of all look at a definition of restoration, which I've spelled out pretty fully on your, on your outline. And then uh, number two, we want to look at the laws of restitution, the laws of restoration. And then uh, number three and number four, which is very important, what is not to be restored and what is to be restored. And then uh, we'll sort of uh, conclude with some important scriptures there. So that's the outline that uh, we want to follow tonight. All right, now on the definition of restoration on uh, session three here and the beginning of our uh, session here, number one, we have Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew definition, just very simply here, is to be safe in mind, body, or estate to be completed. And uh, this uh, Hebrew word is translated make amends, give again, make good, repay, repay again, make restitution, and some other words. And uh, uh, the first scripture there, uh, you need to correct that, should be Exodus chapter 22 and verse 3, not Isaiah. Exodus 22 and verse 3. And uh, we'll look at that in a little while. But uh, one of the laws of restitution which we're going to be looking at is that if a person stole anything, then they were to make full restitution. Make full restitution. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 17. I'm just going to quote these because of what we need to cover tonight. Uh, the Lord said through the prophet, I will restore health to you. And then uh, when David sinned, Psalm 51 and verse 12, uh, when he sinned and the sin of uh, adultery with Bathsheba and how God came in convicting power to him in his uh, prayer of repentance there, uh, part of his prayer was, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David, uh, you know, sin always destroys a person's joy, so restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And in the Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, 
5, uh, which we've quoted before. Uh, one of the prophets to the prophet Joel was that in the last days, God would restore to the church, uh, speaking to Israel at that time, the years that uh, the locust, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, and the palmer were have eaten all, just a restoration of those lost years. All right, so that's how it's translated in the Hebrew. In the Greek, uh, it simply means to reconstitute in health, home, or organization. A very, uh, a very simple definition. And we have examples that I'm just going to quote in the Mark chapter 3 and verse 5 and Luke chapter three, uh, 6 and verse 10. Uh, we're told how when Jesus came in the healing ministry there, he saw a man with a withered arm. And uh, so Jesus said, stretch forth your arm. Uh, and uh, the scripture says, and it was restored whole like as the other. So restoration of a withered arm. Restoring to full health, reconstitute uh, in health. So stretch out your arm and it was restored whole like the other. In the uh, Mark 8.25 uh, verse there, we're told about the man who was blind who's lost his sight, so Jesus touched him the second time, and then uh, after Jesus touched him the second time, uh, we're told that his, his sight was restored, and he saw every man clearly, so restoration, so whole thought there is restoration to health, to be safe in mind, body, and estate, and so forth, to reconstitute in health. Now, when we come to number three here, the dictionaries, Webster's and Collins give a little bit more fuller uh, definition of what we're after. Uh, from Web Webster's Dictionary, I know you can read, but let's verbalize it here. So restoration, a restoring or being restored, reinstatement, <coughs> pardon me, uh, a putting or bringing back into a former, normal or unimpaired state or condition, uh, a representation of the original form or structure. So we think of some of the old uh, National Heritage buildings that they uh, store to its original form or structure as much as possible, as of a building, fossil, animal, uh, and so forth, reconstruction. In theology, the doctrine of the final recovery of all men from sins and alienation from God to a state of happiness. We qualify that in due time. Uh, then the word restore itself, uh, to give or bring back, to return to a person as a specific thing which he has lost uh, or which had been taken from him and unjustly detained, to make restitution of, as to restore lost or stolen goods to the owner. Uh, number two, to put uh, a person back into a former position, place, rank or condition, to replace, to return to a former place. Uh, three, to bring back to a former or normal condition, as by repairing, rebuilding, altering, etc., as restoring a building, painting and so forth, or to bring back to health and strength. Collins Dictionary, pretty much the same. Uh, act of restoring or bringing back to a former place, station or condition. Revival, recovery as of health or spirits. Re-establishment as of peace. Concord, renewal from a fallen or vicious state. And then the word restore, uh, amplified very much here. Return as property to the owner. To replace, to bring back, to recover, to recover from ruin or decay. To rebuild, to repair, to recover from evil, to renew, to regenerate. Uh, all the hours there, to recover from disease, to heal, bring back to life, to resuscitate, to re-establish uh, as intercourse or friendship, to make restitution of or satisfaction for, to give in place of, to recover from error or corruption as the text of a book, to render or insert as the true sense of words uh, in the fine arts, uh, to retouch, re-varnish, 
uh, as an old statue of painting. I do hope all those uh, people who are going to be watching this tape and listening to this tape will enjoy those definitions that we've got there. Uh, you're supposed to smile on that part. Okay. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus, the little man who climbed up the tree. Uh, he was a tax gatherer. And when Jesus said to him, I'm going to buy, come to your house today. Salvation's come to your house. Uh, he got so convicted. And how many think all taxes, tax collectors ought to be convicted? He said, he said, Lord, if I robbed any man, I'm going to restore him fourfold. How many think the tax uh, should restore us fourfold for all they take off us? Thank you for that underwhelming response again. All right, now, so much for our definition. So very, very full definition there, and I purposely did that. But when we think of where we're heading about the church and God restoring to the church and uh, what we've lost through the fall, uh, you know, those definitions are good, good to keep in mind. Now let's go to uh, our second part here, the laws of restitution. In the Old Testament scriptures... God gave certain laws to the chosen nation of Israel. These laws govern possessions which were lost, stolen or destroyed, as uh, we're going to look at some of these references here. Peter's hearers, as Jews would be familiar with the laws of restitution or restoration given to the Hebrew nation. So as I said last Sunday, you have to sort of put ourselves back, uh, get our mindset into what the listeners are hearing. So Peter says, the heavens must retain or hold Jesus Christ back. So he's not coming back until an appointed time, until the restitution or restoration of all things which were spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. So they're, they're familiar with the laws of restitution. That's what we want to look at. So let's turn over to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. And uh, let me just read the, a few verses here. I've broken them up for you on your, uh, on your notes there uh, in outline form. But uh, let's just uh, read the verses here. Reading from uh, New King James, uh, Exodus chapter 22 and verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he will restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found, is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun is risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled fire shall surely make restitution. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he will pay double. 
If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges uh, to see whether he had put his hand unto his neighbour's goods. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for, uh, uh, for donkey, uh, sheep or clothing, or any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whoever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbour, and so forth. All right, if you want to take down a, a brief quote on the uh, seven, eight, or nine, ten things I'll put there. Maybe you'd like to do that. All right, the first thing, number one, Exodus chapter 22, verse one. Think of this now. And so they're familiar with the laws of restitution or restoration. If an ox was lost, then five more were oxen were to be restored for the loss of one oxen. You know, thinking of this, and a number of years ago, uh, 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 they're not here, so I think I'm safe to say that. But we had some young people here who stole some things. And I, being the senior minister then and full of compassion and mercy, could have smacked them with a wet noodle. <laughs> and said, don't do it again, you naughty boys. So being familiar with the laws of restitution, thought, well, you stole one ox, you've got to get five other ox and make restitution. So in this case, they stole some money and some jewels from in town. I've still got to restore it to the owners yet. <laughs> I've done most of it. So I phoned the police and phoned the, the owners in the particular shops that they'd stolen from and said uh, very kindly, I'm senior minister and I'm helping some youth delinquents. Oh, that sounds very good social work you're doing, Mr. Connor. But I made them restore so much more of the amount. How many think if our judges would do this, instead of smacking a lot of people, thieves and robbers and everything, with a wet noodle... If they made them follow the laws of restitution, say, okay, you stole one car. <laughs> You're going to have to pay for five cars. How many think if the laws of the land would just follow the laws of the Bible, we would be much better off? They wouldn't be doing those things. I've found it works. I don't know what the discipline is today under my son. <laughs> uh, anyway, same thing? Wonderful. So if Josiah steals a dollar out of my wallet, he has to pay five. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I like it. <laughs> uh, number two, quickly. If one sheep was lost, four sheep were restored for the loss of one sheep. Ah, oh, I think that would put the brakes on a lot of thievering, thievery going on. Number three, if an animal was stolen, then twice as much worth of the animal had to be restored. Okay, what was the animal worth? $2,000. That will cost you $4,000. Case closed. Number four. If a person, I've just read this out in the Bible, caused a field or a vineyard to be eaten by another man's beast, then the best of his own field or vineyard, he was to make restitution. You eat my grass, 
My oxen and sheep are going to eat ten times your grass. I'll teach you a lesson. Restitution. Five, if fire broke out in thorns, stacks of ears of corn or standing corn in the field, such was destroyed, the one who caused the fire was to make restitution. Six, if theft took place, twice as much money was restored to the person who suffered it. So instead of putting some people in jail with a nice comfortable bed and phone and television and all expenses paid, your taxes at work over their door, I think it would be good to follow the Bible and make them make restitution. They mightn't do it again. Well, at least not in a hurry. How many think would, that would be right? All right, Leviticus You've got the gist of it. Number seven here, Leviticus 6. If something was lost, in this case, there was a fifth part more added to it, like interest. Number eight, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, same thing again. All things which were lost were to be fully restored to the individual who lost them. And in Proverbs, this is probably the worst ones, number, number 9 here, Proverbs 6, verse 30, 31, at times a sevenfold restoration had to take place. Oh, that would put the brakes on you. And then number 10, just because of our time here, in the year of Jubilee, which was the year, literally uh, Jubilee is the year of shouting, all land was returned and restored to the rightful owner, all debts were cancelled and all families were reunited. Jubilee year was actually a year of restoration for every person and year. So it was a year of jubilee, a year of shouting. So lost land, lost relatives, debts, everything was cancelled. Just restoration, restoration as the trumpet of jubilee sounded through the land. That's the picture. Now, you might like to make a note of this. God never gave laws to Israel that he himself could not or would not fulfill. Let me say that again. God never gave laws to Israel or anybody that he himself could not or would not fulfill. The moment God gave the laws of restitution to Israel, it obligated him to see restored to man all that we lost in Adam through the serpent. How many know that the devil came in and he stole and robbed man of his inheritance? Dead. So man's incapable of restoring anything. So God in grace comes on the scene, says I'm going to restore to you everything that's been lost and more. So let me say that again. So God never gave laws to Israel that he himself could not or would not fulfill. The moment God gave the laws of restitution, he himself was obligated to fulfill it because man had lost everything. The, the devil comes to rob, to kill and destroy. He's the thief. That's what he did. Now, not only that, you'll find that in these laws, let me just read off my notes here. Restoration must be made for the loss of another. Okay, this principle was foundation to all the Hebrew laws of restoration. It's also illustrated in the Hebrew year of Jubilee. Every 50th year was a Jubilee year. And in this year, all land was restored. All debts were resolved. All families were brought together. It's a time of full restoration for every person. But here's the second thing. This restoration must be made either in a greater measure, 
more of substance or better in quality than the original loss incurred. Thus more was to be restored than was possessed before the loss. So all that we lost, let me anticipate here, all that we lost in Adam, we have far more restored to us in Christ. And we can say a little baby hallelujah there. So when we go back, and we'll be doing this in, in due time, not tonight, but go back, wow, look what we lost in Adam. And who's going to restore to man all that was lost and stolen and destroyed through the devil who came in and robbed us? Only God. That was through the Lord Jesus Christ. So greater, the restoration is greater than all that we lost. That's the picture. Now, I want you to go over to the other side now. and We want to look at some very important things here. So, briefly, that's the definition of restoration. They're the laws of restitution, or restoration. So the hearers were uh, familiar with that. Now, I want you to listen very carefully on this part. I wasn't going to do it, but I felt I needed to, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on four things that are not to be restored. But I need just to uh, say some things first. So four things not to be restored. Let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, a favorite verse of mine. Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to uh, read verse 10. So Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. Now, if you're taking down notes here, I refer to this as um, what I call a Jeremiah principle. So let me read it out first of all. So Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. God speaking to Jeremiah, he says, See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms uh, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Okay, Jeremiah principle is, Jeremiah's ministry is twofold, two phases we might say. Number one, it has, and if you want to take these notes down, I'd encourage you to do that. So this day I've set you over the nations, over the kingdom. Number one, phase one was to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. So four things in Jeremiah's first phase of his ministry, rooting out, pulling down, destroying, throwing down. That's the first phase of Jeremiah. And it's actually, it's the key to the whole book. Then phase number two was, after the rooting out, the pulling down, destroying and throwing down, phase two was to build and to plant. So Jeremiah could not build and plant the second phase of his ministry until he'd rooted out, pulled down, destroyed and thrown down. Now, here's the Jeremiah principle. Many of us uh, and many of God's people, we hold certain traditions and concepts, false things, and there's areas of false doctrine, is what I need to talk about a little bit here, uh, that have to be pulled down and rooted out and torn down and destroyed before God can build and plant truth. How many can say amen to that? Uh, I've had a lot to unlearn over the years and some traditions I've had just had to be rooted out because someone always knows a verse of scripture you don't. And you build this whole pack of cards up and someone brings along a verse of Scripture and says, wow, just collapses my whole pack of cards. So that's why you need to get to know the Bible. Get the Word into you. So rooting out. So we have to pull down traditions, root out, tear down traditions and ideas, false concepts before we can build and plant truth. Now, what I want to say here, and this is something that uh, 
has troubled me over the years. I'm sure it has some of you. Uh, the greatest enemies of truth are its friends. I'll say it again. The greatest enemies of truth are its friends. Truth has suffered more at the hands of its friends than the world. Every time God recovers a truth, and we'll see this uh, in one of our sessions, you know, every time uh, God recovers a truth to the church, how many know it generally goes to extreme? And it, it either goes into extreme, into extreme error, or just imbalance. All that we've been hearing about the necessity of balance. Uh, I'd like you to take down Connor's uh, uh, definition of heresy. Actually, so I'd like, like ask, ask you the question: uh, Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, no, I mean, which comes first, truth or heresy? How many would say truth? How many would say heresy? How many aren't going to get caught? Yeah. You know me too much. Okay, truth comes first. So, error could not exist apart from truth. So, Connor's definition of heresy is this. Heresy is taking a fragment of truth to its extreme out of proportion with the whole truth. Let me say that again, because of what I need to say on this. So, heresy is taking a fragment, a portion of truth, to its extreme out of proportion with the whole body of truth. So one more time. So heresy is taking a portion or a fragment of truth to its extreme, out of proportion with the whole body of truth. And uh, as we often say, you know, many, many hammers were worn out and smashed, smashed on the anvil of truth. When we think of the heresies that took place in the, in the, in the early church. Now, I need to say all this because of what the four things we want to look at in a moment here. Many people today actually reject the truth of restoration theology. And sorry to say this, you would be surprised that there are almost next to no churches in Australia that actually teach on restoration theology. That's a big statement I've been around the trap so We won't touch it. I've talked to some big names of men that I won't mention. So, restoration, won't touch it, won't touch it. And you know what has happened on this, it has ruined this? Because I've said, you know, every time God recovers truth to the church, the devil sort of says to his demons, okay, back to Bible study, boys. God's just recovered truth to the church, so I want you to study that truth to see how you could twist it, corrupt it, Take it to extreme. Take it out of balance. That's your job, you demons. Now get... He's going to say, get the hell out of it into Bible college now. And, uh, that would be the... De that's the way the devil would talk, you know. So, the, the message of restoration theology being rejected by a lot of my good friends because they say, no, they have said, the teaching, this is extreme, that everybody in the world is going to be restored to God. There's no hell, the devil's going to be saved, and everything like that. Anybody hear that? It's, it's, uh, uh, I'm probably saying this because in Portland, Oregon, where we were for 10 years, Portland, Oregon is the seat of the Restoration Doctrine. So people say, Restoration, won't touch it. Well, the 40 
All right, so I don't need to do that. Put down a couple of scriptures here. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. I'm, I'm just going to quote it. Uh, Peter talks about some of the writings of Paul, how there are those that have taken the writings of Paul and have twisted them. And the, the Greek thought actually is they torture the truth on the rack. Torturing the truth. Sometimes when I hear some preachers in various places, I think, oh, they're just torturing the truth on the rack. Just stretching it. Twisting it. So, warns against it. All right, so because of that, because sometimes say, oh, well, Waverley Christian Fellowship, it's a restoration church, believes in restoration. Yes, we do, but what, what do we mean by it? All right, so they're the things that have to be ruled out. Okay, number one, uh, what is not to be restored? So your first one, what is not to be restored is the devil and his fallen hosts. Okay, so what are we saying here, number one? What is not to be restored? Everybody say it with me. The devil and his fallen host. Now, as I said, there are those that are, teach, that are teaching this, that have messed up this beautiful uh, truth of restoration, that say the devil and all angels and demonic spirits are finally going to be restored. So they take that scripture and abuse it and twist it and say, okay, the restoration of all things... Well, it doesn't say the restoration of all things. It says the restoration of all things which the prophets spoke. And the prophets nowhere speak of the restoration of Satan or fallen angels. Now, came up in the uh, question uh, the other night, which was very good. What about the devil? Uh, what about angels? Now, listen, listen carefully, saints. This is what I understand here and what I believe the Bible teaches. God is a spirit being. And when God created Lucifer, as we understand it, the archangel, who was the guardian of the throne of God and the leader of the worship in heaven, uh, and all the angelic hosts, he led the angelic worship, they were created as angelic spirit beings. And uh, when, uh, when Lucifer fell and started this, what I call a whispering campaign in heaven, uh, and caused, uh, we assume this, a third of the angels to fall, they fell as spirit beings. And the Bible nowhere shows that the devil or fallen angels are going to be redeemed. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, you can just put the chapter down, I forget which verse, Hebrews 2. It says that when Jesus Christ became a man, he took not on himself the nature of angels. Why? Because he was not going to redeem angels. He took on himself the seed of Abraham, humanity. See, because when angels fell, they fell as spirit beings in the blazing white light of God's holiness. So there's no redemption for fallen angels. But when man fell, man was made a little lower than the angels. So here an angelic being came down and deceived a human being, woman, and then she gave to her husband, Adam. And so here is a spirit, soul, and body being a human being, a new creation as far as the devil is concerned, wow, made a little lower than the angel. And because an angel brought about the fall of man and robbed man and everything that man had in the Garden of Eden, fellowship with God, tree of eternal life, blessedness. I mean, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, they would have had perfect kids. Wouldn't that be great? And there's, and there's more in that than meets the ear. Uh, so everything, man lost everything. Everything was stolen from him. 
where God says, I'm going to restore. But I'm not going to restore the devil or fallen angels. I'm going to restore man who comes to repentance. Why don't you put down these scriptures because the uh, two scriptures here, what the Bible tells us about the devil, and you know this, but just if people just say, well, Waverly Christian Fellowship is a restoration church. Yeah, what do we mean by it? We don't believe the devil and his hosts are going to be restored. Matthew chapter 25, verse uh, 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. The Bible tells us in that verse that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's the final hell, Gehenna. Hell was not prepared for mankind, but it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 to 15. Revelation 20 and verses 11 to 15. The last mention of the devil in the Bible is that the devil is thrown into the lake of, of fire where he's going to be tormented eternally. That's it. No restoration. No suffering in purgatory. There's no such thing in the Bible. Hellfire and brimstone tormented eternally with his hosts. So all the fallen angels. How many, how many understand what I'm saying here? So they sinned as spirit beings in the blazing white light of God's holiness. Man was made a little lower than the angels and the devil deceived the woman. Then she gave to her husband and did eat a lower order. God in grace uh, came to redeem man. How many can say thank you Jesus for that? All right, number two. Second thing not to be restored. This is important. Unrepentant mankind. Jew or Gentile. Now I know this is, uh, uh, well, in the world, you know, my world it is, hot subjects. What about the Jews? We'll, we'll deal with that later on. You know, they're such nice people and they are the chosen nation. I had one brother come here and said, Kevin, I want to use your name, I want to use Waverly Christian Fellowship and do a Jew Jewish seminar. I said, well, we need to talk about some things first. So after I sold him a book and I read through his... His article, I said, well, we'd have to disagree. Yes, but God has some special work for the Jew. But I said, don't they need to be born again? Don't they need to be saved? No, well, well they're, they're the chosen race. So I said, you mean every Jew that's ever lived and died outside of Christ? What's going to happen? Well, God's got a special purpose for them. That is not the truth. We've got to be honest. And say, so you must be born again. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, because he was too scared to come in the day, and it's better to come in the night than not at all. Jesus said, are you a Jew? Are you a teacher in Israel? You've got to be born again. We've got to be honest. And people say, well, Kevin, you're anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-anybody. I just want to see Jew or Gentile get saved. How many can say amen? So this heresy belongs to the first one too. Unrepentant mankind will not be restored. And so the universal res uh, universalists or ultimate reconciliations, they take the word all. Christ died for all. And all means all, and that's all it means. So no, we've got to do it within the context. Repentance. Remember, uh, put down Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. Jesus told the uh, account... It's not called a parable of the rich man Lazarus. And when the rich man died, went to hell, there was no second chance. He said, there's a great gulf between me and Abraham and the rich man and the uh, Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, Abraham the father of all who believe. And he said, you know, send Lazarus or send somebody back. He says, I've got the law and the prophets. There was no second chance. That was it. He was in torment. Hebrews 9.27, why don't you put that down? Hebrews 9.27. 
It is appointed unto man once to die. And what's the Bible say? Not after death a second chance, after death the judgment. Revelation, uh, Revelation 14, 14 verse 9 to 11. Revelation 14, verses 9 to 11. And that's the... Why well, wouldn't you turn uh, quickly to that? In my, in my mind, this is the worst verse in the Bible about hell. So Revelation chapter 14, and it concerns particularly for those uh, in the end time who receive the mark of the beast, and it says in verse 9, uh, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That is hell. And the smoke of their torments ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. That's it. No second chance. So unrepentant mankind will not be restored, whether they be Jew or Gentile. When they stand before God and say, well, Lord, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm of the chosen race. So you didn't accept Christ. That's, that's it. So we've got to, how many of you know we've got to be honest with the truth and speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. All right, number three, the third thing, as time keeps moving on, this very important one too, the Mosaic Covenant economy will not be restored. I'll just have to give you scriptures here because time keeps going. But I'll read this a little bit. Put down Ezekiel chapters 40 through to 48. I'll just quote what they're saying. Ezekiel chapters, these are chapters 40 to 48. Zechariah chapter 13 and 14, these are chapters. Ezekiel 40 to 48, Zechariah 13 and 14. And so there's a lot of teaching, far more, and probably I'm in contact with this more, and maybe some of you have come from this background, but there's a lot of teaching going around today, well, the Jews are going to rebuild the temple, and there's going to be a restoration of the temple, Mount Moriah, somebody's going to blast the Mosque of Omer, uh, not the kingdom come, because it's not going to be in the kingdom to come. Okay, uh, and, and that the Jews have now got the red heifer, and the animal sacrifice is going to be restored, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles is going to be restored, so Circumcision is going to be restored, Sabbath days and years. Jerusalem is going to be restored as the holy city. The Aaronic and Levitical priesthood is going to be restored. Uh, all of the Mosaic covenant ceremonies are going to be restored. Okay, well, I, I had great anointings on that till I found I was wrong. <laughs> then I had to unlearn. Now, just think of it. When Jesus died on the cross... And we can only assume this, that the priest was standing, uh, offering the evening sacrifice in the afternoon, and as he's standing before the veil, offering the evening sacrifice, the blood. All of a sudden, I mean, Jesus Christ is out there hanging on the cross, and God just comes down and rends the veil from top to bottom and says to the ironic priesthood, you're out of a job. The mosaic economy is over. And tradition tells us that the priest sewed up the veil to hide it from the people and carried on that abominable system until in AD 70 God allowed the Roman Empire under Prince Titus and the Roman enemies to burn the temple down, smash the thing and turn over every stone as the gold and the, and the you know, melted between the stones because it was also a bank. So, listen carefully to this. 
Here is the cross of Jesus. How many are glad for the cross tonight? And when Jesus died, he instituted the new covenant. And under the new covenant, it is circumcision of the heart. The church replaces the temple. The last reference to Jerusalem in the Bible is Revelation 11, verse 8, where it's called, where our Lord was crucified, Revelation 11, verse 8, where it's called spiritually Sodom and Egypt. And Sodom had two witnesses, and it was destroyed by fire and brimstone. Egypt had two witnesses, and it was destroyed by plagues. Jerusalem's going to have two witnesses, and will be destroyed by fire and brimstone and plagues. God will never go back to the Aaronic priesthood, or the Levitical priesthood. God will never go back to animal sacrifices. I mean, it's the greatest insult to Calvary. It's the greatest insult. It would be like God the Father saying, Oh, son... You were the Lamb of God, but I'd like to backslide the other side of the cross, and Christians might backslide. How many sort of feel, you know, feel pretty strong about this? Eh? I mean, Christians may backslide, but for God to go back, it means God has to go the other side of the cross and reinstitute the whole of the Mosaic economy and the Mosaic covenant. That's the greatest insult to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then some of them are changing their teaching now and say, well, it's going to be a memorial. Hey, we got the Lord's table, which is a memorial. Yes. Brother said to me in a Pentecostal church here a number of years ago, Kevin, he said, do you know what God's doing with you? I said, sometimes I wonder. He said, well, God's training you as a priest in the church now so you'll be able to offer animal sacrifices for sins in the millennium. <laughs> I said, well, heaven forbid and Kevin forbid. Throw away the book of Hebrews is that, if that's true because the book of Hebrews says we're not under the Aaronic priesthood or the Levitical priesthood. We're under a Melchizedek priesthood. We're not under animal sacrifices. We're under the sacrifice of Christ. We're not under the Mosaic covenant. We're under the new covenant. It's circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. How many can say amen to all that? Huh? And so when the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, we have access within the veil right into the presence of God. Uh, Hebrews, why don't you put this down, Hebrews, where is it? Hebrews uh, 10, 9. Wow, look at this. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Listen to it real quick. He, he took away the raven that he might establish the dove. He took away Ishmael that he might establish Isaac. He took away Esau that he might establish Jacob. He took away Saul then he might establish David. He took away the old covenant, then he might establish the new covenant. He took away animal sacrifices, then he established the sacrifice of Jesus. He took away the Aaronic priesthood to establish the Melchizedek priesthood. He took away circumcision of the flesh to establish circumcision of the heart. He took away the material temple to establish the church as his temple. He took away Moses to establish Jesus. Hallelujah. He takes away the first that may establish the second. All right, number four, and then our time's up, and you'll have to come back next week for this exciting episode. Number four, this is not to be restored, Jewish nationalism. Jewish national, nationalism. And what I mean by that is, there's a lot of teaching, and, and, and personally, please take this kindly, we'll balance all this out later on. Take a kind of, uh, there's what I believe creeping into the church, 
what I call a spirit of Judaism. And that creeps into the church, and this is the line of teaching, and maybe some of you are still under, or have come out of it like I had to, that in the coming millennial kingdom, when the Jews rebuild their temple and everybody that doesn't go up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and offer animal sacrifices, there's not going to be any rain and the Jews are going to be exalted above all nations and all nations are going to have to go to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and everything like that. Hey, listen. For God to exalt the Jewish nation above any other nation is to exalt the physical, earthly, natural, national birth above the spiritual and the heavenly birth. The message of Jesus to the Jew, as to Nicodemus, is you've got to be born again. So God's not going to exalt any nation. He's got a nation. Do you know what that nation is? Put it down, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, and Peter's writing, You are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a holy people, called out of darkness into his marvellous light to show forth the praises of God. And everybody said, hallelujah. Well, I'd love to sneak a couple of minutes, but I can't do that. Come back next week for this exciting episode. How many of you have learned something tonight? So if people say to you, well, Rayway Christian Fellowship, I hear is a restoration church. Yes, we believe in the rest message of restoration, but I'll have to wait till next week to tell you what we do believe. <laughs> Okay, let's all stand. Thank you for being such a wonderful bunch. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus. We lift our hands to you, Lord, and our hearts just overflow with gratefulness, Lord, that everything we lost in Adam and that the devil stole and took away from us, you restored to us in Christ and that we've been taken out of Adam and now we're in Christ. We're on the way to restoration. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, we're no, under, no longer under a nationalism or the old Mosaic covenant, animal sacrifices and ironic priests and all that. You fulfilled and abolished it all in yourself on the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the new covenant, Lord. Oh, you said, know the truth and it sets us free. Help us, Lord. We just pray that you'll bless the word to our hearts and stamp it deep on us, Lord. And Help us to realize we're living in days of restoration and the best is yet to come. Let your blessing be upon us now, Father, and we pray the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit will be our portion until we gather again. And everybody said, Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.